Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of Turbulence here on WMUC Sports Radio. I am your host, Jack White, alongside my partner in crime, co-host George Shalloway. George, how you doing, buddy? You excited for the holidays? I'm excited for the holidays, and I'm looking forward to, you know, a bright future in College Park with uh, National Signing Day just early signing day just happening. There's a lot of excitements, you know, as Coach Locks likes to say, you know, it's right around Christmas time. And there are a lot of gifts coming in for Maryland fans. So happy holidays to you. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing what these guys can do in the future. That's a great segue, too, because I remember when Coach Locks said that in his presser. I mean, that really speaks to how the Turfs decided to proceed and go about National Signing Day. They did a lot of great things. Uh, the 2021 class is currently ranked number 18 by ESPN. They were able to get a lot of good players, linebacker Damian Robinson, linebacker Brendan Jennings, defensive lineman Tommy Agambasite, defensive lineman Tyzee Johnson, and running back Antoine Littman Jr., and that's just some of them. They were able to recruit 21 student athletes that all hail from the Washington, D.C., Maryland area. Some were, came from Florida, Delaware, Missouri, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, and that's just a few But, George, they spread it out. Six defensive linemen, three defensive backs, three linebackers, three running backs, a few tight ends, one wide receiver, an offensive lineman, and a fullback. A lot, a lot of really good signs by the Terps. In particular, did any one of them in particular stand out to you? Well, I had a couple that did and a couple trends. You know, seven of the eight highest rated recruits were all in the front seven of this defense. So so that's important. You know, Maryland on the 247 – uh, is number 19 in the class, and they can go even higher because I don't know if, how excited you are, but I'm pumped that Terrence Lewis, the five-star, the number one linebacker in the country, the number 16 overall player, put Maryland in his top two along with Tennessee. Now, he's from Miami, Florida. He's not a DMV local guy. And, you know, he was originally committed to Tennessee until about two weeks ago when he decommitted. See, All that, the crystal I, saw balls. That, I saw that and I was like, you know what, this speaks, this speaks highly. I really think he's making a move to College Park. Well, I mean, the crystal balls were all saying that he was going to be going to Auburn once he decommitted to, uh, to Tennessee. And, you know, as you know, Coach Malzahn is gone. He's no longer the coach down at Auburn. All the trends were going away from that. And he just released his top two this week of Maryland and Tennessee. You know, Coach Pruitt's fate is a little bit uncertain in Knoxville we don't know what's going on you know with Rocky Top down there he might get fired we don't know so it looks like Locks is staying for a while he's got some he's clearly got a really good defense coming in with the number 19 class I mean he just flipped Brendan Jennings as you mentioned from the University of Michigan it's always nice when you can get a a four-star prospect it's even better when you flip him from Coach Harbaugh and Ann Arbor, so I'm know, really excited about that. There's a little bit of a sweet taste of that. You got to exactly when you t- steal them from the other Big Ten East teams, and you get to keep them. It's pretty good. And you know, the reason that they were saying that he was was here is because you know the man that recruited him for the most part was Brian Williams, who had a relationship with um, Brandon's father um, with the South or with the uh, Florida connection. He's not from South Florida; he's from Jacksonville. Um, so, you know, again, not a local guy, but he was willing to buy what coach locks was selling which is you know maryland football i was about to say Uh, like coach locks has done a really good job and you could say this for like a lot of organizations in college football but 
I see him and, you know, you call me biased whether you want to or not, but he's done a really nice job in implementing a culture change. You know, nothing really wrong with the Terps in the past few years in regards to what's going on behind the scenes, but you can really see this team trending in the right direction. And that's something too, George, I noticed on signing day, they're really attacking this defensive line and rightfully so Maryland was one of the worst this year, although they only had the opportunity to play five games in run defense. No, you're, you're correct. And, um, you know, we can't obviously bank on Terrence Lewis coming to Maryland yet, but um, that would be a, a really good get. But to answer your question of one particular player that I think that I'm looking forward to watching is he's not the absolute highest ranking recruit coming in, but I think he's going to have one of the most immediate impacts in, in, uh, when it comes to, to next season, which is uh, Jeremy Spragans. He's a middle linebacker, inside linebacker, coming from Hutchinson Community College Juco School. Uh, he was the number 25 player in the Juco class. Now, why am I saying him? Well, I know that the linebacker room is already pretty loaded and talented, you know, with uh, Chance Campbell and Ayanda Ely and everyone else and the other linebackers that are coming in. But because he's a JUCO player, he'll be able to immediately step into a most likely a rotational role. Um, but I think that his leadership, and he's originally from the DMV, um, so he's coming back from community college here. He wants to play for Maryland. Um, and, you know, I, I really think that, you know, with looking at how Maryland's had the JUCO success this year, you know, with a couple guys, um, with up front, especially with, you know, Jahari Branch starting uh, at left guard every game and, you know, uh, Finau and Nassau Kitty, the two defensive tackles, the, these JUCOs have been making an impact. So I, I expect him to be another impact player. I don't expect him to, you know, He's not the blue chip of the class. That's obviously, you know, Damian Robinson, the four-star D-end out of Quince Orchard. But I expect him to, to have a little bit more of an impact. But I'm wondering, who's your under-the-radar under player? Yeah, my dark horse without question, as, I, you, know, as you heard me reading off uh, Maryland's recruits on signing day, is that one wide receiver here from the DMV, Ty Felton, went to Stonebridge High School, put up – outstanding numbers there. He was only a three-star recruit, but I really think he's going to be a great compliment to Rakeem Jarrett, um, Jones, and it's more, most importantly, he's going to help out the young quarterback in Talia. And I really think that's going to be ultra important to have a plethora of high talent in the wide receiver position because it's going to make Maryland more of a threat within the Big Ten. Well, I agree. I mean, plus – he won't be probably playing immediately because there's so much depth right now at receiver. Uh, I believe, you know, everyone's most likely going to probably return there unless Dante Dimas decides to go to the NFL. I would, I think he should probably come back um, personally. I mean, he had a good season, but there were a couple drops that he had and he can obviously learn a little bit more and having a, proper full season will only give him better film to put on tape for NFL scouts to be able to watch. So uh, if everyone comes back, yeah, he'll be able to learn from some really good players and definitely be able to develop into a future starter and a future, hopefully impact player um, for Maryland. Um, while we're also talking about football and impact players, though, I would like to ask you my trivia question, which I forgot to do a little bit earlier, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, let's do that before we get into diving in to evaluate the Terps 
2020 campaign. I'm I'm looking forward to this trivia question. He told me it's it's doable. I I am an over on the okay. season so far, and I, I need I need to chalk up one in the win column here. Well, here we go. This week, they in the Big Ten announced the All Conference teams and individual honors. Unfortunately, Maryland did not have any individual honors for any of their players this year. You know, best quarterback, best wide receiver, best coach. Best special teams player of the year, best kicker, best punter, best returner, whatnot. You get the idea, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who was the last Maryland player to win an individual honor for the Big Ten? So best kicker, best punter, best kick returner, best quarterback, best running back, best wide receiver, whatever. Who was the last Maryland player to win one of those awards? And here's my hint. Since Maryland has joined the Big Ten, there have been three players to win individual honors like that. So – it's not just one player. There's three. There's been three of them. There's been three since Maryland joined the Big Ten. Okay. And I'm telling you, you're going to kick yourself if you don't get this. All right. Okay. All right. No, the wheels so, are turning. The wheels are turning. Okay. Well, take your time at the end of the episode. As you know the rules, you'll get back to me. I might have to give you another hint if you're stumped, but, but it'll be good. But back to football. Not award winning. This is, you know, more about after, you know, signing day with, with kind of the thoughts on the season, you know, yeah. personally, if you told me that the season Maryland would finish two and three, I wouldn't have been that happy. Yep. But the way that they finished two and three isn't, it doesn't show on the, on the, you know, the wins and loss columns for me personally. I mean, yeah. if, if you would have told me that Maryland would have lost by 16 points on the road to a top 15 big 10 East team, First of all, I probably would have thought that would either have been Penn State or Michigan, not Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. And as they were down, you know, 23 players, and Coach Locks was basically, you know, back from, you know, all of his quarantining. I think that is a decent performance they had. The game against Northwestern wasn't so good. Minnesota and uh, Penn State were both really good games. And then this last game against Rutgers, again, they were out without their starting quarterback. And then Lance didn't play well. And you have Eric Najarian, who I didn't even know who he was before, you know, he got thrown into the fire, if you will, and had a decent game. Yeah. He gave Maryland a chance, and that's all you can ask for. Yep. When your starter and your backup, both four stars, weren't able to play and didn't have a very good day. So – I wasn't upset with that performance, but I think two and three with everything that was said and done was okay. I mean, it was a lot closer than I, than I thought, but man, I tell you, we obviously with the game canceled against Michigan state on Saturday, that gets rid of our chance to go 500. And I truly believe that, that uh, Maryland would have been able to beat Michigan state. Now that they knew that Talia wouldn't have been eligible to play. That's an entire week of giving reps to both, you know, Lance and, and Eric and one of them would have become this week's starter who would have been able to do something. The defense, you know, played pretty well against Rutgers, especially in the first half, they pitched a shutout without defensive coordinator, John Hoke, who was also out. And I mean, Tarheeb still played out of his mind. If you ask me the, the true freshman corner, he had a great game. I mean, um, Look at all the the problems, you know, they got all those, they got five or four or five forced fumbles and didn't get any of them, which just was terrible. Yeah. And there were just some stupid boneheaded penalties and that, you know, really ended up costing them the game. You know, Jay Sean Jones with 
those blindside blocks and um, Ami Finau uh, rolling over the uh, the quarterback for Rutgers' ankle, and then you know Coach Locks having to give him some disciplinary action for this week's game, which ended up getting canceled. It was it was too bad, but that's why I'm saying there's hope in College Park. This number 1918 class, depending on what source, 247 or ESPN, the chance to still get a couple transfers. The NCA said that every player that decides to transfer this year will have eligibility. There won't be a problem because with COVID, they're letting that happen. So I'm telling you, I think that there's a lot, you know, Coach Locks can still work his magic like he does. I mean, a year ago, we were saying, oh, this was a good class. It was 31 in the country with, you know, Rakim Jarrett. We thought that this guy that would be thrown in the ball this year was going to be either Josh Jackson or Lance Lejeune. Then, you know, in May, he goes out and I don't want to say steals Talia, but he steals Talia. And that completely changed, you know, our quarterback room. So who knows what can happen with transfers and. Oh, I think Talia has changed the whole outlook of this system. The Absolutely. Whole, the way Loxley runs this offense. And for those that still are in disbelief, don't have faith. They're tired of the inconsistency, been there, done that kind of attitude, getting impatient with this Maryland football program and this team. I say, stop, stop, take a deep breath. As my good friend, Aaron Rodgers would say, R E L A X relax. This team, we talked about it all season, <laughs> granted a small sample size, five games, but the bottom line is this team throughout the season have taken their lumps both on and off the field with COVID, but they have been trending in a positive direction for every bad thing they've done. The good things they've done to reciprocate have been overshadowing all the mistakes. So what's important to realize here out of this season, and by the by, I do want to just throw in that I do believe Maryland would have had a very um, great game on all assets of the ball against Michigan state, um, a two and five team, um, struggling in all categories of the league, pass defense, run defense, total yards on offense, really having a tough time uh, to get things going this year were the Spartans. But I believe the Terps not only are trending in the right direction, but Coach Loxley has really put together a plan and a scheme that is starting to shake out on the field, and we're starting to see it. And I think these big-time players like Talia, Dante Demas Jr., Rakeem Jarrett, five-star wide receiver. Um, I want to congratulate Jake Funk, by the way. I can't leave him out of the equation for making all uh, Big Ten all third team. Uh, fantastic job by the senior. Um, just a shame he didn't get to go out on a winning note against Rutgers and all the other seniors as well. I want to recognize them. But the bottom line is uh, faith. I mean, this, it's, it's, it's like the Philadelphia 76ers who really coined this phrase, trust the process. You really just got to have faith in, you know, in the people that are in charge on top and are trying to put it all together out on the field for us to see and get winning results. Because I, I get it. I get it. it. You become impatient as a fan and it becomes frustrating I mean, George, you can relate to this. I can relate to this a little bit. But as a student, it becomes excruciating because you become, you become like part of the family, like part of the team. And it becomes excruciating to go to games and watch loss after loss after loss. 
walk back to your room in a funk and just not want to talk to anybody or, you know, just, just, you're completely at, at, you know, lost. And like, how did this happen? Why does this keep happening? I really do think we're going to see um, above 500 records for the next few years with the talent that's being brought in and the talent that's already here, especially with the change at uh, head coach and Mike Loxley. I really think he's got, he's got great experience. He's coached under incredible players. He's recruited incredible players. He knows what he's doing. And I, I have, I have trust. I have faith in that he's doing all the right things. Yeah. I think that he's definitely on the right, on the right track. It just, it really stinks because, you know, I'm willing to throw out that first game against Northwestern as a, you know, as an outlier. That was the first time that any of these guys played together as a team, first live reps, Talia's first start, nerves, what have you, whatever. But then they were peaking. They beat Minnesota in a thriller at home. They demolished Penn State in every aspect of the game. And then, boom, COVID plague struck the Terps. It hit Cole Fieldhouse at Gossett. And, you know, they had to cancel the game against Ohio State, had to cancel against Michigan State, come back, Indiana, they're depleted. And they – they should have, could have, would have won that game. You know, doesn't count, but they were in it. Then, you know, the Michigan game canceled. Probably could have beat, the, uh, you know, the Wolverines up in the big house. And then Rutgers, again, should have won that game. Plagued by COVID with, you know, a few players that were difference makers, especially your starting quarterback. Coaching staff's got it. That's and another then, thing, too, that we haven't even addressed. These players are living on the, you know, the, the, the lesson of uncertainty every week, every day. They have no idea whether they're going to have to travel. They have no idea whether they're going to have to go to practice, when they're going to be playing. I mean, the Michigan game, um, was it the Michigan game? or It was the Michigan It was the Michigan game. The Michigan game was canceled the night before it even happened. I, I don't know how you respond to that as a player because you've been preparing all week and I can just speak from a fan's perspective. That's really frustrating when you're geared up all week <laughs> to watch a, you know, your team play on Saturday. I mean, that, that becomes really, really annoying. And I know I'm not the only college football fan that's just tired of that, but you know, nonetheless, it, they're, they're having to face obstacles and demons that a normal season doesn't present which is really tough. Uh, and I know they're not the only program that has been um, hurt by COVID-19, but at the same time, Maryland has had to deal with a lot of it. And you can see that uh, a team that's only played five games. I mean, there's teams out there. Um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, just happens to be the first one that comes to my mind. They've played 11 games on the season. 11. I, I mean, I looked at their record. I'm like, you know, I guess it makes sense that they're ranked, you know, no disrespect to their program, but it's like, you know, they're probably ranked because you've got a lot of stud teams and stud conferences like the Pac-12, like the Big Ten, like the SEC that aren't playing as nearly amount of games as they are. So, you know, it's all relative. It's an interesting season. I don't know how the committee makes decisions like this. Um, especially the decision, how they decided to just let Ohio state waltz on in, uh, decrease the game amount to six instead of seven where it was originally. Don't even get me started on that. That is just absolutely ludicrous. I don't know where that thought. They brought it down to five from six. It's even less. 
Was it really from? So it was, it was six originally six. six they brought it down to five. Correct. I just don't understand. I don't understand where, where that originates, why you're giving a team like Ohio State – forget that they're, they're good. Forget that they go every year. They're a talented team. You deserve it. If you're good and you're talented and you win you, every season, go. Fine. You deserve it. But a team like Texas A&M that has had an incredible season, they've been going through COVID. They've played a lot of games. They are a better team than Ohio State, and they've played more games. I don't understand why, why they're not being given the chance. I even suggested – I had a conversation the other day with a buddy. Would you agree to, like, have a – I don't know. I don't even know what you could call it. Like a COVID qualifier game. Like Texas A&M versus Ohio State. The winner goes to the CFP. Like, well, you know? Well, the prob- well there's a couple of things that, that I want to say from, from what you just said. The reason why Ohio State's going and they made their rule change is just dollars and cents – Every team that goes to the college football playoff, the conference makes six million dollars. So oh, there are money. there are six money. million reasons why they changed it from six to five because every team benefits from that. They split it among all the schools, so it helps everyone, and that's why they did it. Why I don't think there should be a college football playoff qualifier game. It's really simple. Where's that going to be? Texas A&M's got to fly from you know College Station in Texas to Columbus. Well, okay, great, or they got to fly from Columbus to College Station. Just traveling, there's the possibility of picking up more germs. They might fly, then test positive before the game, like a Des Bryant situation, then not be eligible to play. Who knows? Yeah. So it, it could be even worse. But another problem is, which I find the most frustrating, is that all of these different conferences have different protocols for the virus. The Big Ten is one of the most rigid and strict with, if you test positive, you cannot play for 21 days since that day, that test where it's the SEC or it's, you know, the ACC, it's not like that. And when you get to the, you know, college football playoff, and if Big Ten, you know, if Ohio State wins against Northwestern tomorrow at noon and they win that game and they are the number four team, when they have to then play against Alabama, who would assuming that they beat Florida and stay at number one, well, what happens if someone from Alabama tests positive tomorrow and only misses, you know, a week, 10 days, someone from Ohio State tests positive and they're out for three weeks. How does that work? How is that fair? Are they going to change the policies now for the playoff? Like, I don't know. And then that's not fair to the regular season. So there's a whole lot of problems that are yeah, going on with no standard policies. Yeah, yeah you got to keep it consistent. You can't, you can't shake things up at the very last minute. That makes sense. Yeah, so I, there's just so many things that are frustrating about it. I mean, remember when uh, Coach Saban – tested positive the week of the Georgia game. And then he had, you know, two or three negative tests in a row. And then after, you know, three or four days, they let him coach on the sidelines. Yeah. Like what? I mean, even if it was a false positive, that's 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 just crazy. That's not the SEC. That's not the, that's not the policy. That's crazy. You know, something like that versus, you know, any, uh, you know, that's seniority. That's what that, that's my name is Nick Saban. You're going to do what I think is right. Yeah, so just all these crazy things that have been going on and, you know, whatever. I mean, it's out of our control, but it's definitely a a flawed system, if you ask me. So, nonetheless, folks, the Terps finished the season 2-3 and overall, 2-3 and in the Big Ten, and I can assure you they will be back next year with vengeance and definitely a positive, unfinished business type outlook and mentality on the 2021 season with hopes to make a premier bowl 
now from the field to the hardwood. George, let's talk a little bit about men's basketball for the Terps. You and I at the very beginning of the season, I'd like to think you were probably a little more realistic. I think I was floating on cloud nine a little bit, a little hung up on what they did in the off season. Um, the amount of improvement, you know, the, the youth they have on the team, very aware. We were, bo- we both were Cowan and sticks out, but you know, four and oh, you, you got to feel pretty good, right? They've lost two straight. And what's concerning is not that they've lost two straight. They've lost two straight to Clemson and Rutgers, two premier basketball programs, no disrespect to the George Masons or the Mount St. Mary's or all those, any of those programs, but they're not exactly, you know, you don't exactly see them in March Madness. You know, they're not exactly top tier. So, George, what are your opening thoughts in regards to what you've seen from this team the last two games? And is there hope that they can become ranked and, you know, at the, you know, at our, you know, expense, hopefully even make a March Madness bid? Well, we do have to realize that both Clemson and Rutgers are both this week ranked in the top 25. So they are very good teams this year. Very good. I think that something that we have yet to still see after that Clemson game is how do they respond on the road? Cause they, that was their only road game of the season. They looked awful. They couldn't make any shots. Their defense got them back into the game a little bit and they were able to bring it in within, you know, 12, but wasn't double digits or anything. Um, you know, the team against Rutgers, they had a halftime lead. Granted it was one point, but what happened in the second half? But you I mean, had a halftime lead. That's exactly. I mean, it was just – I got to think that maybe that one, if there were fans in the Xfinity Center rocking, giving them some mojo, maybe it would have helped. But that was their home court. And it was – I mean, it was embarrassing to watch as a Maryland fan to just lose that one at home, just open Big Ten play. So – it was, it was really tough. Uh, I think that, you know, they're playing LaSalle on Monday, I believe. And, uh, you know, that should be a, a win, knock on wood. But you never know with this team now. They're definitely looking a little bit uh, atypical for Maryland basketball for the last couple of years recently. And uh, then they play Purdue on Christmas Day. And Purdue – is a good big 10 team and like every team in the conference, it's not an easy, not an easy game. So I, I, there's just a couple things that are frustrating. Number one, Eric Ayala is looking like he's not the replacement for Anthony Cowan. And that's fine. He isn't Anthony Cowan. No one wants him to be Anthony Cowan. He wants, he shouldn't be and is Eric Ayala, but he's got to be able to do things that Cowan was able to do. He's got to be able to run the floor He's got to be able to, you know, find the open man. And when he does find the open man, the open man's got to make those wide open shots. And I haven't even seen that this year out of Wiggins. I mean, he was the guy that was supposed to have the big jump this year. He was supposed to put the team on his back. And this year it's been Dante Scott doing that, which is great. He's a tough young guy. He's a sophomore. He's got a lot of upside to him. But then where's the big man support? Chol is is a non-factor. Uh, and everyone was really hopeful that he was going to be able to have that growth this year and turn into a reliable man, and he hasn't done that. And that's disappointing, especially with the loss of sticks. You know, with well, would you Smith. say going back to what you said about Chol, I don't think he's getting enough minutes. I don't well, think, I, think Turgeon, not... I don't think Turgeon's giving him enough playing time. I don't know, like 
that if that's health related, you know, talent related, I have no idea, but he needs to be on the court more. Well, I don't think he's even earned that time on the court from the time he's been on the court. He's, he hasn't done anything. He's just been a, just been a, a space filler. You know, he, he hasn't been that intimidating factor. You know, I remember watching, you know, Bruno play. Bruno was aggressive. He was physical. He wasn't getting bullied in the paint. And whenever, you know, Chol's in there, he's playing much more passive. That was going to be my next thought. You used the word intimidating, which I love because Chol is not using that 7-2 figure to his advantage. Nope. He's, you know, he's playing, he's playing very weak offensively. He's not getting any offensive boards. He's up there in fouls. He's not, that's another thing you could throw in there why he might not be getting minutes. He's, he's, he's not playing good defense. He's very reckless on the defensive side of the ball. And I really think Turge needs to address that with him because he is a presence. He can be intimidating. He can be a huge threat on both sides. And he should be. I mean, yes, this is, you know, still early in the season. He hasn't played a lot. Last year, like we played half so, a George, season. If I was 7'2 and had a 7'10 wingspan, I'd like to thank God you'd be a threat. My gosh. I, I agree. I mean, it's tough. It's, it's frustrating to watch, but – as we've discussed on previous episodes, next year's recruiting class looks pretty good. And unlike football, basketball, these guys can make immediate impacts. And, you know, with uh, James Graham coming after Christmas, he's another big body. I mean, he's not seven feet, but he still can be another forward for the team. And, you know, we've got Julian Reese, Angel Reese's brother coming in next year. And, and there's still some hope. So I'm not completely waving the white flag yet. It's way too early for that. But if Maryland wants to even make it to, to March Madness, they got to start. Uh, well, first of all, you can't blow halftime leads. It's that simple. Um, and we'll see. Uh, hopefully they can beat LaSalle. And then I don't want to say steal one from Purdue, but get some confidence back on the road and, and get a win that, uh, they definitely need go one and one in the Big Ten. That's that's much better than zero and two. I mean, we definitely want the Terps to have a merry Christmas without any coal in their stockings as they head up to Purdue and hopefully can, as you say, steal one from the Boilermakers. So nonetheless, Terps sit at four and two right now as they will host. Um, excuse me, as they will host their next game against LaSalle at College Park, Tuesday, December 22nd at the Xfinity Center. So we're hoping they can bounce back, if anything, and go up to 5-2 and two and then let the rankings take care of themselves from there. However, from men's to women's, the Lady Terps are really, really on a streak right now. Without Angel Reese, their number one player, who is out the next 12 weeks, which basically consists of the season, unless they make a very, very, very big March Madness run pending what COVID decides to do with us. The bottom line is, George, the Terps look very good right now. They have a date with James Madison tomorrow, which is a game that came about um, a matchup that the Terps added because they had two games canceled earlier in the season against Mount St. Mary's and George Mason, where they were unable to play due to COVID, um, um, COVID uh, diagnosis, excuse me. Uh, with the other programs. 
So, unfortunately, the Terps had to wave those flags and sit that out, but they will be playing tomorrow at 11 a.m. at the Xfinity Center, looking to hopefully get their fourth consecutive win and move five and one. But, George, you know, they're doing this with a lot of small ball, not a lot of size on the Terps, other than really Chloe Bibby and Mimi Collins, both forwards down low. But including both those names, George, the Terps have five players that are averaging over excuse me, six players that are averaging over 10 points or more on the season, led by the hot three-point shooter, Katie Benson, who is averaging over 50% from the field from deep. Well, yeah, that's fantastic. I, I wish, you know, that she can keep that up for the rest of the season, but that's shooting lights out. I mean, I remember, you know, when Aaron Wiggins' his freshman year, he was shooting over 40%, and we thought, you know, Anything, just let him throw it up. He's going to make it. So we thought that was crazy. Dominant. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. Take a hook shot and just swish it from deep. Exactly. So Katie is shooting out of her mind right now, and hopefully that can continue with Big Ten play. Because as you know, they just had a nail biter against Rutgers, or they uh, were able to come out with a four point win. I think uh, what was it? Ninety one eighty seven. Ninety one eighty seven was the final. Yeah, so it was really close up in the rack, uh, the Rutgers Athletic Center. So. Next time that we get him, we get him down to the Xfinity Center, which should help. But, no, this women's team is playing really well, and I was really looking forward to the matchup against the Ohio State University on uh, Wednesday, which was, as you told me, postponed because Ohio State has been tested positive, and they had to shut down their basketball uh, program for the women's team. They had to cancel their game against St. Mary's in Iowa. Those games were, were canceled, and, you know, it really stinks because, as you remember, Maryland were able to cut down the nets in front of Ohio State in the Big Ten uh, championship tournament in Indianapolis last year before the whole world shut down for COVID. And I would have loved to have seen that rematch because I guarantee you that Coach Freeze was going to get her players ready to, you know, stomp on their throats and not let up that Big Ten lead. Oh, come in, come in hot. Absolutely. Coming so with a lot of fire for sure. So I, I was looking forward to that game. As we've well, finally, I feel like the NCAA and the big 10 made a good decision in not immediately jumping to a cancellation. You know, they're going to postpone it. They're going to try and figure out a date. Everyone, you know, including me who would like to think we're on the, uh, the brighter end of this virus uh, yep. vaccinations are coming out. Obviously that's another conversation, but I like how the NCAA decided to say, you know, hold it, 2021, January, February, we could probably slip this in right before March Madness. Yeah, but also, you know, and and some other bright side for uh, the women's team, they got another recruit to sign for 2022 this year, or this week, sorry. Um, Ava Sciola. That was huge. Junior from Pennsylvania. Uh, She was a state runner-up last year in the District 1 Class 6A championship game. Uh, Not exactly sure how – Pennsylvania does their championship with their scheduling and what divisions or what, but regardless, she made it to a state championship run. Uh, her team lost in the finals, but you know that she was definitely a leader of that team as a sophomore because she's a junior this year, you know, averaging almost 15 points a game, 14.6 and 9.1 rebounds per game. So again, she's just going to continue the pipeline of hopefully Maryland stars of tomorrow. And I mean, we're all excited to, to welcome her to, you know, Terp Nation and, and let her come in in a couple of years and have Coach Freeze continue to develop her. And by then, you know, we'll be able to see 
you know, how Angel can, you know, mentor her because, you know, yeah, she's the future of this team. I was about to say, Angel, I mean, she is one of those six players that was averaging over 10 points, and she's played in four games in the season. So you say that out loud, it becomes so surreal when Angel's a junior, senior, if she chooses to stay with the team that long, because I know her ultimate goal is to reach the WNBA. I mean, gosh, that could be scary. That could be really, really scary because Angel Reese can play some ball. She's very talented from deep inside the paint, rebounding the ball. She's got a lot of skill. So definitely, definitely some um, uplifting news for sure uh, for the Lady Terps to look out for. And don't want to forget to mention, too, after these matchups, the men's against LaSalle and the Terps taking on JMU tomorrow at Xfinity Center, both squads will be playing Big Ten opponents from here on out until March when the Big Ten tournament in Indianapolis hits. George, do you think that will kind of ignite a fire in both teams, especially the men's, knowing that the opponents just – they don't get any easier? Well, I think that it's going to, you know, bring about those competitive juices. But when you get to this level of, you know, Division One basketball, regardless of its Dodd conference play or conference play, you should always be excited. But, yes, when we start having some more rivalries and they start playing, you know, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Michigan States, you know, there's been some bad blood. You know, last year I remember, you know, Coach Turge got a little backlash for his comments about how, you know, Caleb Wesson was throwing elbows against Jalen Smith. And then there were some technical fouls against Anthony Cowan when they were playing in the Schottenstein Center against Ohio State. You know, when we played against Jawan Howard, Howard's team, excuse me, with Michigan, the last game of the season for senior day, we got to cut down the nets in front of them. That right there, Michigan doesn't like that. And now Michigan's ranked and we're playing them up in uh, the Chrysler Center in a couple of weeks. So that'll be a close game. And then whenever Maryland basketball plays Michigan State, you know it's going to be a crazy finish. I mean, going back to the game in spring of 2017 when Melo Trimble hit the game-winning three-pointer against Michigan State and, you know, throws up his jersey showing off Maryland in front of all, you know, the Michigan State fans and Michigan State players. And then uh, the following year, spring 2018, when Michigan State was a top-10 team in the country, Maryland had a 13-point lead at half, ended up blowing it, which was terrible. And – you know, the, the student section was going nuts because uh, they were saying, you know, that was the whole issue with um, Coach Nasser. And, you know, everyone was screaming, you know, Izzo knew. And there was a lot of bad blood there. And Izzo was turning around in the student section and yelling back. And there's a lot of problems. I mean, he wasn't really yelling back. He was just looking at people. Let's be honest. He's a professional and wouldn't stoop that low. But but I could oh, tell in his head he was oh, upset. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know. These two, and then last year with the two college game days up in East Lansing and back in College Park, each one winning on each other's um, away courts. Neither one could defend the home turf. It's I mean those two def- teams. It's really developed into a true rivalry over the years. I think so. Uh, maybe Michigan State doesn't feel that way right now because they say, "Oh well, we got you know Michigan." But in basketball, it's definitely a rivalry, and you know when we don't get to play in football, it makes it hard. But yeah. uh, you know, we'll see. But, no, I definitely think that it's a light of fire on them, and it should. But, again, they got to get excited to play LaSalle because that's the most important game coming up. It's one game at a time, and can't lose that one. Again, as George said, the Terps will take on LaSalle December 22nd, next Tuesday. While the Lady Terps, you're going to want to set your alarms tomorrow, take on 
JMU at 11 a.m. at Xfinity Center. Now, before we sign off here, George, you had a trivia question for me. I got two names floating in between the years right now. I think I know it, but why don't you read it for our listeners one more time? I'll read it and give a hint for our listeners and you. So this week, the Big Ten released the all-conference teams and the all-individual honors for the Big Ten football. Unfortunately, Maryland did not have any individual honors, you know, best quarterback, best kick returner, best wide receiver, best defensive back, best linebacker, what have you, on this year's list. Who was the most recent all-Big Ten individual honor from the University of Maryland? And here's my hint. There have been three in the past well, since Maryland's been a part of the Big Ten, two special teamers and one offensive player. We have yet to have a defensive all-individual honor, but we've had two special teams and one offensive. That's my hint for you, and let's hear your thoughts. And we, we have not had a coach. No coach. No coach. Okay. 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 So my, my thoughts – I, I, I like I'm thinking about like the obvious names. Um, I was thinking about like DJ Moore and Stefan Diggs immediately. And I was like, how could Stefan Diggs not be honored? Like how? Like I was just like, and then I went to DJ Moore. I was like, no, no, I think that a little too far back. And then I was even thinking of uh, Ty Felton. Um, Ty Johnson. Ty Johnson. Excuse me. Thank you. And I was like, oh, man. And I, I was like, that, I don't know, that might, be, that might be stretching it. And now that you say special teams and one wide receiver, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with my gut. I'm going to have to play the odds. I'm going to say Stefan Diggs. Oh, my gosh. That's incorrect. That's incorrect. Okay. That's incorrect. Wait, okay. I got it wrong, but I want another hint. I want to see if I can break this down. It was a special teams player. It was not the offensive player. The most the, – we have had this – is, this was the order. It went special teams, offensive, special teams for the individual honors. That's my hint for you. Is that a, does that help? Special teams. It honestly doesn't help because just Maryland players that really stood out to me over the past, at least since they've joined the Big Ten. This is since they joined the Big Ten. Yeah, all yeah, Big yeah. Ten. But they've been on offense and defense. Well, okay. He was an offensive player, but he also played on special teams. Does that help? Okay. Was his offensive position wide receiver? No. Was it running back? Yes. Was it Ty Johnson? No. No. Okay, then I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out for it. This is going to kick you. I'm telling you. It was last year. The return man of the year in the Big Ten was Javon Leak, who just signed, as you know, to the active roster of the Washington football team. And I can see your facial reaction. You're getting up and walking away. You are frustrated. I told you you were going to kick yourself. It I was Javon Leak. I literally just had a hype moment last week when I saw that on Twitter that Javon Leak signed, was brought up to active the Washington roster, football yeah. team to the active roster due to the injury of Antonio Gibson. And I saw that, and I immediately thought, oh, my God, we got a terp on the active roster. Let's go. And I was so pumped. 
And I was like, when you read me that question, at least, I was like, no way this can be Javon Lee. I don't think he got honored. I don't know. He, he was the all Big Ten returner player, from last but I don't year. think he got honored. This is, this is what happened. So in 2014, the first year Maryland was in the Big Ten, Brad Craddock was an All-American kicker and was the kicker of the year, first man on special teams. In 2017, we had our first and only offensive player winner with DJ Moore winning the Big Ten Receiver of the Year. Okay. And last year, 2019 season, Javon Leak was the Big Ten Special Teams Kick Returner Player of the Year. Man. Yeah, because I was so – that, That's the two special teams and one offensive. We've yet to have a defensive player. Thought Darnell Savage might be the defensive back player of the year. He didn't get it. And Stephon Diggs was not actually receiving individual honor. He was the all Big Ten second team wide receiver in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You see, that's what I was – when I was thinking Stephon Diggs, I was like, you know, he might have been like Jake, Jake Funk. He might have just made, been, been um, regarded and recognized as the all Big Ten. He was honor. on the all Big Ten team, but he didn't get an award for he individual didn't get awards. Yeah. Okay. Because, no. yeah, D- DJ Moore and Stephon Diggs were my immediate – immediate immediate and when you said special teams i'm thinking like okay he's saying special teams but what's well, like it's got to yeah. be like a running back or a wide receiver yeah so i'm thinking ty johnson you know i'm thinking of some of these other guys and i'm like no way no way it's javon lee javon it happened I, last year i would have remembered it gosh my memory i i thought you were gonna remember this with you know the wft connection that's why i knew you're gonna kick yourself and i'm sorry i really i I was trying to give you your WFT in there. No, that's a top-notch. That's a top-notch question. You teed it up, and I hit it into the woods. I mean, I, I should have striped it down the fairway. I mean, that was good stuff. That was good, right. good stuff. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in to this edition of Turpulence. I'm your host, Jack White, alongside my partner in crime, George Shalloway. We will be back next week with our Tis the Season Turpulence Holiday Special. We will be talking some professional sports as the NFL season winds down here at the mid to end December, headed into the playoffs, and the NBA season is gearing up. So we are going to talk some professional sports as the Terps, football and basketball, especially football, comes to a close. So thanks again for tuning in this week. We will see you next week. Be safe. Take care of each other, folks. See you next week.